Hello Marcus Today members, today I am talking once again with legendary fund manager, economist, value investor John Abernathy, chairman of Climb Capital, the listed investment company, also chairman of Climb Investment Management. John is talking to us today about the surprise RBA rate rise yesterday. John, what did you make of that? Predictable. I mean, a few of the economic commentators have worked out the 12-month trail inflation numbers. When you're looking back 12 months from now, you captured an inflation surge coming out of the Ukraine war through petrol prices, electricity prices, and da-da-da. So they're trailing inflation numbers. As we go through month by month, some very high numbers of a year ago drop out, replaced by short-term numbers, a bit like your golf hand. Numbers, bad numbers are dropping out and good numbers are coming in, so the inflation is going to come down. The problem for Australia, and that's worldwide, by the way, and we're seeing it dramatically happen in America, the big issue for Australia, where Australia is an outlier, is the fact that we have uh, electricity prices and gas price increases coming in July. We already know about it. So our inflation is going to come down and then all of a sudden kick up again as these electricity prices come through. So we're on a slightly, we're on the same worldwide cycle of inflation coming down, cost inflation coming down, but we've got a hiccup coming in Australia. And I, I just... Do you, I think, think, do you think that'll catch people by surprise? Well, it shouldn't catch them by surprise. Shouldn't. It should be if they're thinking. I mean, but uh, our inflation will be higher than America for the next six months. But our interest rates will be low, and that's another issue about the Aussie dollar, which we can talk about. The RBA doesn't want to put up interest rates because it's got a significant problem in the mortgage market. Australia's got uh, $2.5 trillion of mortgage debt. And it's always amazing when I talk to the, uh, in my presentations, I point out that 65% at least of households don't have a mortgage debt. So when you look at the balance sheet of Australia's residential property market, it's something like this, and don't hold me if I'm slightly wrong, but it's big numbers, $10 trillion housing market at value, $2.5 trillion of debt. So if you looked at it from afar, this is what the RBA used to do. This is what they used to do. Oh, it's not highly geared. It's only 25% geared. That's not excessive. What they forgot to do was take out the 65% of people who don't have any debt. And when you do the carve-out, we have about $2.5 trillion of debt against $3 trillion of property, which is geared. So the gearing's not 25% on those who are borrowed. It's more like 80%. Right. And they bor- the, the, the recent people who bought, borrowed and did fixed rates at 2%, 3%, are all coming off and paying 2 and 3% more. So there's a lot of debt rolling, and all that debt will roll. So we can do a quick number, $2.5 trillion rolling at 2 or 3%, $60 billion of interest increase, billion dollars a week, comes out of discretionary, money that was I wasn't paying to the bank, and I could go to McDonald's and go to Harvey Norman and go to JBL. All of a sudden, those people have to send that billion dollars to the bank to pay interest comes out of their cash flow. The central bank knows that if it puts up interest rates, it puts more pressure on that part of the economy. And they're very reticent to put up interest rates. They get scared when they see the Federal Reserve put up interest rates because it's almost followed the leader and the gap between Australia and America grows dramatically and they're being pushed or, or pulled to put up interest rates. And they have, which leaves us wondering, of course, what is the Fed going to do on Wednesday night or Thursday morning? There's no need for the US to do it. My my point is inflation on a six-month number in America is 3.5%. On a 12-month number, it's 5 But on six months, it's 3 So the trend line is dramatically down. Interest rates are 1% to 2% above inflation in America today. They can stop and watch. 
Australia is 2 to 3% below inflation. So America doesn't need to. If you put up interest rates in America now, with a slowing of the economy, which is clear to see, liquidity is dropping, credit creation is dropping, the interest rate moves in America have done their job. Let them do their job. You don't need to keep on pushing it. If you put up interest rates now, it looks partisan to me. It almost looks like an attempt to disrupt the American economy going into a presidential election next year. Now, that's an outrageous thing to say, and I withdraw it, but I can't see any reason why they need to aggressively put up interest rates any further. Just let them do their job. On the back of that, what's the Australian dollar likely to do? If you were looking at Australia from afar, like from another planet, Australia looks like a great place to invest and should have a strong currency. We have a trade surplus. We're going to have a budget surplus, have a current account surplus. You look across the Western world, no one else has that. And in economic theory, that's positive for the Aussie dollar. So why is the Aussie dollar struggling? Okay? The reason it's struggling is because our interest rates compared to inflation are too low. We have negative real interest rates. America has, as I just explained, positive real interest rates. That's what's holding the Aussie dollar down. Interest rate differential, but real interest rates differential. That's the thing which is dragging the Aussie. Now, the problem with it is weak Aussie dollar is good for exports, but bad for inflation. So we actually have a tailwind for inflation, electricity prices, and a weak Aussie dollar. So we've got some inflation issues in Australia, which the rest of the world doesn't have. Yet our economy and our, the barometer of the economy, current account, trade account, fiscal account, are all positive. So Australian dollar stays weak until we get inflation below cash rates. And that's going to take a little bit longer. Take a year. The budget, mm. uh, we're going to report a surplus of something like a billion dollars. Is that right? Yeah. Our commodity exports are being astronomical. LNG prices astronomical. And we're getting the... And we've got full employment and we're, people are paying tax. So the numbers, it's amazing how the Treasury could get it so wrong, so consistently. And then we've had our Treasury going around Australia saying things are tough and the budget's out of control and da-da-da. So he's going to have to do a bit of a song and dance on budget and not tell us, look, we were socially responsible, we're fantastic fiscal managers, even though we just inherited the budget, we did nothing with it. We're fantastic and we got a surplus, so you can trust us. But things are bad looking forward. Well, whose fault's that? Oh, that's the Liberal government because of the stage three tax cuts and, and the NDIS, but that was your NDIS and aged care and all this childcare. So there are, the biggest issue is also the interest cost. So there's a whole lot of reasons why the budget will go back into deficit because of decisions made by past governments. Both sides of parliament have made silly decisions and put in programs, long-term programs, without any long-term analysis. So the billion dollar shortfall is international trade, we're going to go back into 1% and 2% deficits going forward. They're not anything to worry about. I'll tell you why. If Australia grows at 2 to 3 4%, which it will at some point over the next 5 to 10 years, we're always going to grow stronger than the rest of the world. If our deficit is below our growth, then debt to GDP drops. There's nothing wrong with a the deficit. There's the wrong, what's wrong with deficits is when they're black holes. If they're growth deficits, it's good. If they're black hole deficits, it's bad. And we've got to get government into saying deficits aren't bad so long as we're funding growth. Now, the deficits we're going to be confronted with, uh, I think we're going to deal with the NDIS issues, which are well documented, aged care, okay, health care, child care, blah, blah, blah. The, the growing issue is the cost of debt. So we had a massive increase in debt in COVID, $300 billion. A lot of that debt was issued at no cost. Thank you, Reserve Bank. 
it's all going to be reset in the next three or four years. And it's going to go from virtually nothing to 2 or 3%. That's what's going to catch the budget. So we're going to get a ten billion, pick a number, ten billion dollars of interest come through, 0.5 percent of GDP. There's your first impact on the budget. Very predictable. Okay. So there is going to be a projected deficit going forward. That's being caused by uh, the COVID funding and the manipulation of interest rates by the Reserve Bank. But we know about it. It's not a crisis. If you want to worry, go to America. Okay, so we've got... So we're going to talk quantitative easing here. Yeah. Well, I think quantitative Money easing... Money printing. Well, it's, it happened in America a few weeks ago, but America's got $30 trillion of debt. So 1%, 2% increase in interest rates there have quite a significant effect on their budget. They're 100% debt to GDP. Australia's government debt to GDP is less than 50%. So whatever you think about Australia's interest problem for government debt, it is twice the problem in America. It is a massive problem in Europe. It's a massive problem in Japan. My point is, if we know it's a massive problem that bond yields go up and it's going to put pressure on the budget, guess what? They won't go up. How can I be confident? Because the central bank will manipulate the bond market, which has done successfully for 12 years since the GFC. And is there ever going to be the big one, the money printing post-GFC and then post-pandemic? Yeah. It pretty much doubled again after pandemic in the US. Yeah. Are we ever going to pay a price for that? If you did economics, you'd say yes. But economic theory is just that. It's theory. We have seen modern monetary theory play out in Japan the last 23, 24 years. We're seeing MMT or QE, whatever you want to call it, apply in the broader Western world to the last 10 or 12 years. In Australia, we had a QE surge, COVID. At this stage... You cannot link the inflation of the world to QE. You can't link it. And Japan is your longest example. So if there is, a t- is, there is going to have a catastrophic moment, at least from watching Japan, we know could, after 23 years they haven't had their catastrophic moment. So in the back of our minds there could be something happen. But at this stage, recent economic history says QE, even though we don't understand it, We probably don't like it. It seems to work. Okay, it seems to work. The problem is, is there inside QE good, bad QE? And I go back to black hole and growth. I think QE has a couple of positive aspects to it. Okay, and we saw it recently in America. So American bank collapse, yep, in San Francisco. What happened the next week? $360 billion was printed to make sure the financial system of America was stabilised. Anyone who wanted to get money out of a bank could get it out. So there's no... Everyone, remember we are reading the article, oh, we're going to have a panic in America? Well, where did the panic go? It was QE'd away. So that's a legitimate reason for QE. Another legit, legitimate reason for QE may be when it funds capital investment by an economy. But when we say we're going to spend $400 billion in Australia over the next 40 years on submarines, well, how's, who's going to pay for it? And I go, well... Maybe QE might have a... And if we're printing money and investing in tangible assets and we get a tangible output, then maybe that's a good result. Now, there will be people listening to this and say, this guy is nuts. <laughs> this guy is a loony chain. How can you keep on printing money? And I admit that. This could be total, totally wrong. But I just say, we've had it for 25 years in Japan and they haven't imploded. They haven't got mega inflation. In fact, in the latest inflation surge, Japan was one of the lower inflation economies of the world and the biggest printers of money. 
right? So the cost of money, the interest rates, which Japan has manipulated down, obviously have a factor in inflation, which we're now beginning to understand. Inflation, interest rates feed on themselves, okay? Keep, it, keep interest rates down, then that part of inflation doesn't emerge. Do I understand it fully? No, but I'm observing it and I'm not ignoring it. And I think one of the things we should do as investors is just observe what's going on today. Don't look at the 1930s in Germany. Interesting, if you want to look about why the Second World War, but look at the last 20 years. And the reality is we are not seeing massive inflation in places which printed a lot of money caused by the printing of money. We saw massive inflation because of the Ukraine war, pushing up oil prices, gas prices, grain prices. That's what caused inflation. Printing of money has not caused it yet. Will it at some point? I don't know. I think also if everybody prints money, we're probably okay. That's aren't right. We? Bounces out. Yes. Fe- that's a, that's another theory. It's all that which interest didn't ex- rate square. Well, when I did economics in the seventies, that was not a part of the economics course. I don't know what they're teaching them today at the university, but you, we should maybe you and I should go along and do some practical economic training. Yes, maybe <laughs> uh, we need to rewrite a few books. Well, thank you, John. Very interesting. Solving the problems of the world, the RBA, inflation, the Aussie dollar, the budget, and the big one. Look out for our next podcast with John. We are going to address franking and superannuation changes. You might find that one rather interesting.